and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. We've been in this chapter for some time now, and we'll, uh, we'll continue in this chapter and in this one singular narrative this morning and then next week as well. Uh, it's an important narrative. It comes right at the middle of the book of Genesis. It's also one of the longest narratives in Genesis. Uh, and what it does for us is uh, it ties together some themes uh, that, that have been a part of the narrative of the book of Genesis uh, all along. It's, it's tying together themes of redemption, particularly as they are expressed figuratively in the, the relationship of the husband and the wife and of the many offspring who are to come, all in the context of covenant. That is, all in the context of a relationship between God and His people, in which God has made promises to His people and is faithful to keep those promises. You've uh, heard us talk about this. Nathan brought this up last week in his sermon. Uh, that, that, and, you, and you hear us do it quite often in our preaching, that, that what's happening in this narrative, as is with all of the narratives in Scripture, is that on the one hand, we're getting a historical narrative. We're, we're finding out about actual historical events by which God is, is actually accomplishing the redemption He's promised. So that Isaac and Rebekah, and their being married and having offspring is, is an actual means by which the Messiah is coming that God promised in Genesis 3.15. So we're seeing in these stories, in this narrative, the actual outworking of salvation in history. But what God is also doing in superintending all of these events and accomplishing redemption by means of these events, God is also revealing to us things that are true more generally about His salvation, so that when we come to a text like this, we recognize that, uh, that Isaac is an example of, an illustration of what we would call a type of Christ. Rebekah is a type of the church, that bride that Christ is is purchasing at great cost for himself. And we will we'll look at that a little bit more carefully in the sermon this morning. But I want you to, to hear that, whether you're a visitor with us this morning or it's what we do with the text is new to you. We're not just making things up. When we start talking about the church and how these verses tell us things that are true about ourselves, whether we're lost, unbelieving, not Christian, or whether we are a Christian, when we begin to look at these verses and we say, this is what these verses say about who God is and what God is doing in redemption, I want you to know that we're not making it up. We're not being creative. This isn't like a beautiful mind, right, where you walk into the shack and there's like strings and tacks and labels all over the place and it's all just in his head. The New Testament will look back on these verses and do precisely what we are doing this morning. This is how we are supposed to read the text. If you hear what we do in the pulpit and you think to yourself, good night, I never would have seen that. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to, to see how we're doing this and learn to do it for yourself. I want you to be able to read God's word and see in stories like we have here in Genesis 24, the beautiful truth about who God is and what he's doing and who we are and how that that impacts us, what it means for us. 
As we come to the, uh, the text this morning, uh, we do see, again, uh, we're, we're, there's an urgency that's been true all the way through the text. Uh, Pastor Nathan has brought that out very effectively. We're going to pick that theme up again this morning and talk a little bit more about the urgency of the mission. Uh, there's a, an immediate response to the call on Rebecca's part. We're going to talk about the, the importance of responding to the gospel without delay. Uh, and then it, all through the text, it's at the beginning and at the end in particular, is the expression of the blessing that is, is abundant, is beyond abundant for those who belong to Christ. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll read our text this morning. Fathers, we come to your word. We come as those who are weak, uh, those who are, are broken. The image of God in us is, is twisted, but you are restoring that image. And for that, we give thanks this morning. Father, we pray that as we read your word, that we would hear this word with the ears of faith, that your spirit would, would illuminate our hearts and minds, that we would understand it rightly, that, Father, where there is need of encouragement, your people would be encouraged this morning, where there's need of, of discipline, of rebuke, Father, of exhortation, that that would be received as well. Build us up, strengthen us, sanctify us by your word and spirit this morning, we pray. Father, in my weakness as the, the minister, as the preacher this morning, I pray that you would overcome that, that despite my weaknesses, your word and spirit would have their effect in the hearts and minds of your people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, Genesis chapter 24, and we'll begin in verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, three things this morning. Do not delay in fulfilling the mission. Do not hesitate in answering the call. And do not miss the gospel abundance that we have on display in this passage. First, do not delay in fulfilling the mission. Look especially at verses uh, 54 and 56 again. Uh, remember that this, this larger narrative, Abraham, uh, who is, uh, is getting fairly old at this point, uh, he's, he's actually about 140, the text tells us. Uh, he, he calls his most faithful servant to him and says, go back to our family and find a wife for Isaac, my son, and bring the wife back. 
Whatever you do, don't let Isaac go back. Bring her to him. And the servant has done this faithfully and and through a series of events has found Rebekah, who's a part of Abraham's extended family, uh, has sat down with the family and explained his mission, and the family has granted their blessing, and he is, uh, he's ready to go. He has spent the evening with them and is ready to rise up. It's a little difficult for us, I think, uh, to, to instinctively recognize the urgency. Although the text is giving us all the cues of, of urgency, it's even more urgent than you realize It would have taken the servant quite some time to get back to the family. It's going to take him quite some time to get home to Abraham. Uh, Journeying in this period was not comfortable or easy. He's been here presumably a day. He spent one night, and he's ready in the morning to turn around and make the journey back. It would have been perfectly normal for him to have said, we're going to rest a while. Guys, get comfortable. We have a family here who can feed us. We're going to take advantage of that hospitality. We're going to rest. We're going to get our strength back. And then when we feel good, we'll head home. To stay one night in that hospitality and insist on leaving is a rush. It's a hurry. There is a genuine urgency on the part of the servant. The family tries to detain him. Give us 10 days. Ten days sounds to us like a lot. Ten days is an entire trip for us. And if we're talking about guests in our home, ten days might feel like an eternity, depending on the guest, right? Uh, they're, They're saying, we're hardly imposing on you. It's hardly even an ask. You're going to need ten days just to recover from the trip you just made. Relax. Relax. Ten days. What, what you don't realize in just these few short verses, but becomes more evident in the entire narrative of Genesis, is that Laban, the brother who's saying, give us 10 days, is a fraud and a trickster. And elsewhere, he will use this exact same ploy in, in order to try and undo the agreement that's been reached. The servant may or may not realize this. Providentially, he is so focused on the mission on fulfilling the mission that he cannot be deterred. And in in insisting on moving forward, the servant is is actually avoiding, potentially, something that might keep him from accomplishing the mission. Well, in this context, in redemptive history, that mission that the servant is on is a mission to find a bride for the son. And here is, is Rebekah, as a, a, an image, an illustration of the church. The son, Isaac, is Christ, and the servant is, is sent to find the bride and bring her home. That servant's on a mission to claim the bride of Christ. And listen, we could legitimately go several different directions with the servant. The servant is also, in a sense, a type of Christ, Because Christ himself comes. He doesn't send a servant. He doesn't send somebody else to get us, the church, to come and to die for us and to purchase us. But he himself comes. We could see the Holy Spirit in this text because Christ does send the Holy Spirit into the world in order to bring us from death to life, to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. 
Those are both true in their own way. But there's a third possibility that I want to focus on this morning that I believe is also true. And that is that we are the hands and feet by which Christ himself goes to the world through the work of his spirit in his word. We too are prefigured, anticipated in the person of the servant. And the servant is sent on a mission and he goes on that mission with urgency Nathan talked about that urgency last week, and it's been on display since the the very opening of this narrative. Abraham calls the servant and says, hey, go do this. And I mean, in the very next verse, the servant jumps up, saddles the camels, if that's what you call it, and they head out for a long journey. And it's been nothing but urgency ever since. We are on a mission sent to the world to gather together those who will be a part of, who will belong to the bride of Christ, the church. And we ought to have urgency. Why? Why should we be urgent? First, we should be urgent because we we understand the times. The New Testament says recognize the times, understand the times. That is that the time is short. Ever since Christ ascended into heaven, the church has been filled with anticipation and urgency. And the fact that that was 2,000 years ago changes nothing. It doesn't mean the first generation of the church was wrong. It was absolutely true for them that Christ could come at any moment. It is absolutely true for us that Christ could come at any moment. And a generation is coming, and it may be ours, in which Christ will, in fact, come. And when he comes, like a lightning bolt, it will be the end. There will be no other opportunity for the lost to come to faith. And until Christ comes again, the lost are dying every day. And as each one dies apart from Christ, their opportunity to say together with Rebecca, I will go. I will answer this call to faith and repentance. I will be the bride of the Son. That opportunity slips away as their life ebbs from them. And we have the only solution to that eternal judgment that they slip into. Why should we be urgent? Because people are in desperate need. Why else should we be urgent? Well, the love for our love of the Father who sent us. And who sends us. I think if we pause for a moment and we we have to use some imagination and use some assumptions, but I think the text justifies some of these assumptions. This is the servant who has been with Abraham the longest, the text tells us. He is Abraham's most faithful servant. And there's nothing in the text to suggest that the servant is motivated by fear of Abraham. And that leaves... One really strong option, that the servant is motivated by love for his master. Oh, the servant loves Abraham. He knows that Abraham is the chosen of God, that Abraham is the one through whom the blessings are coming. And unlike Abraham's family, unlike Lot, unlike Laban, all of whom, and you've heard us say this before, All of whom ought to be saying right now, take everything that belongs to me, Abraham. I just want to be a member of your household. You 
are the chosen of God. And you and all of your household are receiving the blessings. Make me a member of your household. You can have all my stuff. Lot, we can't live together. It's entirely too crowded around here. You got your stuff, I've got mine, you go your way. And Lot says, okay, I'll take the best. Laban and the family here, why aren't they packing up? Why aren't they packing up like the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Stack that stuff high on a, on a, a trailer and head back or, or towards Abraham. Imagine the impression that has been made, and we're going to talk more about the blessing later. Imagine the impression that's being made on them as a servant of Abraham shows up with all of this gold and silver and clothing and says to them, Yahweh has blessed my master. Okay, we're in, right? Why should we be urgent? Because the Father has expressed this love to us. And we love the Father. Abraham is loved by his servant. And so his servant, in love and out of love for his master, is urgent in his mission to accomplish that mission. Why wouldn't we be urgent? Maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself, yes, of course, urgency. And yet we're not urgent, are we? Why aren't we urgent? Comfort and security are the enemies of urgency. Children, which is easier for you when you have work to do? When your parents say to you, okay, it's Saturday, today you have to clean your room. I want it spick and span. I want all the toys back where they belong. Go get the the vacuum cleaner and vacuum the floor. Which is easier? To do that after you've already gotten up, you're dressed, you've brushed your teeth, you've had some breakfast, and your parents say to you, you need to clean your room? Or is it easier if your parents come into your room while you're still in bed, buried under the covers, all comfortable and warm, and they say, get up and clean your room? Nobody wants to get up, do they? You don't want to get out from under the covers. It's so hard to get out from under the covers. And if you're getting out from under the covers to go open Christmas presents, that's easy enough, isn't it? But getting out from under the covers in order to go clean your room is hard. Why wouldn't we be urgent? Because comfort and security sap us of any sense of urgency. If you're one of the ones in the water, you're urgent for a lifeboat. But get pulled from the water with a blanket wrapped around you and the urgency begins to weaken even though others may still be in the water. Love for the lost can make up for what comfort and security rob us of. Love for the lost can make up for what comfort and security rob us of. We are, by every measure, by every measure, including the poor among us in America today, We are the wealthiest people who have ever lived in the history of the world. Our wealthiest people are the wealthiest people, and we as a people are the wealthiest people who have ever lived in the world. We have more comfort and more security, despite the the things that we may worry about in the world. We are still the strongest nation in the world, the strongest military in the world, 
We live in some of the safest communities in the world. We are the definition of comfort and security. And it inclines us not to be urgent. Here in these verses 54 and 55 and 56, the servant will not be deterred. He's got all the reason in the world to be deterred. Laban and Bethuel are, by every indication, pretty wealthy themselves. And they have the means to give them a warm room, a comfortable bed, feasting every night, and to take care of their animals. Comfort could have drawn the servant into a delay, but he refuses to delay. Okay, so are we urgent? How do we become urgent? I'm going to give you one very practical way to be urgent in the mission that God has sent us on right now, and that is to be praying for Christianity Explored. There are plenty of other ways to be urgent. Plenty of other ways to be urgent. Christianity Explored, we had our first session Wednesday night, and in many respects, it went really well. But in one respect, it was disappointing for all of us. There was nobody there who wasn't already a follower of Christ. It would be easy at this point for us to throw our hands up and say, well, we did our best, right? I mean, I don't know what else we could have done. Let's pack it up. We'll try it again another time. Listen, all this is is a sound reason to pray with even more urgency. We're going to gather again this Wednesday night. We're going to go through the second lesson. And in anticipation of that night, we are going to pray urgently that the lost will come in and hear the good news of the gospel. If you haven't invited someone to Christianity Explored, if you're not participating on Wednesday nights, will you join us in prayer? Will you pray urgently every day that the lost would come in, that they would hear? We can pray with urgency. You can be urgent right now to begin thinking if you, if you haven't invited someone. Or if you've invited someone who's already told you, I'm not coming. Will you begin thinking about who you will invite next time? Because we're going to do this again. If we spend every single one of these weeks in a room together without a single person who is lost, we are doing this again. We are pursuing the lost. And listen, I rejoice. Billy has said it in a couple of different settings, but I want to make sure all of you hear it. We've already succeeded. Christianity Explored is already a success in a very important sense that we have done what we have been called to do. We have invited the lost to hear the gospel. We're astounded. We, the leadership, are astounded pleasantly and rejoicing at how many people were invited to Christianity Explored. That's a huge step for us as a congregation full of introverts. Well done, right? You stepped out of your comfort zone. We're going to keep doing this. But brothers and sisters, with an urgency, will you pray that Christianity Explored would be a success in another sense, that the lost would hear the gospel and believe? Second this morning, do not hesitate in answering the call. This 
this point in particular is for those who may be within hearing this morning, whether you're in the room or online or you're listening later uh, on uh, the, the podcast or, or however it is that this message is coming to you, I want you to see the importance of not hesitating in answering the call. Look at verses 57 and 58. The servant is pushed back. He said, no, I, I really don't have time to spend 10 days here with you. I need to go. Laban and her mother answer, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. No hesitation, no long explanation, simply I will go. It's important that those who have not believed in Jesus Christ, who are not repenting of their sins, respond quickly. Do not hesitate. The invitation is to trust in Christ and be saved. And that's here in the text, because the invitation that's extended to Rebecca is not merely marriage to a man, but by marriage to a man to enter into the covenant to enter into all of the promises, all of the blessings, all of the benefits that come with belonging to this covenant. A covenant, by the way, the Abrahamic covenant, to which we all belong as well by faith. She has an invitation to enter into this covenant. And that covenant is the gospel. Paul will tell us this in the New Testament. That, that in Genesis 12, when God says to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you, Paul says that was the gospel. He says the gospel, and I'm quoting here, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. That gospel, Rebecca now has an invitation to become a part of. And she does not hesitate. And you say, well... Yeah, I mean, of course she didn't hesitate. Uh, if that's the way we're thinking about this, we need to slow down. Rebecca has known the servant for less than 24 hours. She's never met Abraham, never met or seen Isaac. She's, we've got every reason to believe that she's part of a family where she's well cared for and has all of her needs met. On top of which, it's quite clear Mom and brother, not really excited about this, would like more time to think about it, maybe even some time to find a way to avoid it altogether. Mom and brother have come to Rebecca and said, we'd like you to stick around for at least 10 days. He's in a hurry. Will you go with him? She has to go against brother and against mother and leave the only home she knows where there is some kind of security here for her and go off into the unknown to a place she's never been, to a people she's never seen or known, to great promises that are held out to her. As we begin to think more carefully about this, we come to the inescapable conclusion that Rebecca steps off in faith in this God. The servant's been very clear. It's not, my master has been so successful. My master's such a good man. My master will take good care of you. My master has a great home. 
But he has testified over and over again, the Lord has blessed my master. The Lord has made promises to my master. Will you come and belong to my master and his Lord? Rebecca steps out in faith in Yahweh, not faith in Abraham, not faith in Isaac, not faith in the servant, but faith in God. And she does not hesitate. She's called to be a member of that covenant people. And again, wherever you are this morning, if that's not you, if you have not believed in Jesus Christ, and I want to make this as simple as possible and use as little church language as possible, the God who made all things has told us what is right, and all of us have rebelled against him. And the just judgment against us that has been declared by that God is death and judgment forever. That's true for all of us. But that very same God has not left us under that judgment. He's made promises to deliver us from that judgment. And in order to be delivered from that judgment, you must be the bride of the Son. You must believe the promises and give yourself to that Son. Trust in Him. Trust in Him the way a wife must trust in a husband. You must trust in Christ and Him alone to deliver you from the just judgment that has been declared against you. God is coming again. Christ is coming again. And when He does, He will gather His own to Himself and He will bring the rest of the world under condemnation and judgment that will never end Don't hesitate. This morning, in a very, very real way, I am the servant. I am the one called by God in this particular moment and place to say aloud, the Son has called you to be his wife. Will you come? Don't hesitate. If you are not trusting in Christ, if he is not your only hope of salvation, if when you die, you don't know what happens or where you're going or why it all happens or why you would go wherever you're going, if that's you, you are in desperate need of being saved from the judgment that's coming. And the good news is not only that it's been provided for, but that it is absolutely free. Rebecca has has no obligation, no debt here to cover before she's allowed to mount onto this donkey, this, this camel, and head home to Isaac. It's a free invitation. In fact, she's not only not had to pay anything, she's covered up in jewelry and fine clothes that have been given to her. Blessings abound for the people of God. Will you hear the call and answer? Do not hesitate. There may be a cost. Rebecca uh, here takes a risk in cutting against the grain, not doing what her brother and mother clearly want her to do. They want her to say, uh, I'll, I'll go with him in 10 days. She takes a risk 
She runs the risk of her family being angry with her, her family perhaps even cutting her off. And so it should come as no surprise when Christ in the gospel says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The use of the word hate here is very intentional on Christ's part. Not that, that what we think of as hatred, uh, an active dislike that, that causes us to want the worst for somebody. That's not what Christ is talking about here. Christ, what Christ is saying is you will reject your family if that is what is required in order to come to Christ. You, you will suffer the loss of family, of friends, perhaps even of vocation, you will suffer the loss to come to Christ. There may indeed be a steep cost. I want you to hear me say this. If you've not trusted Christ and you, you're anticipating such a loss, it is worth it. It is worth it now, and it will be worth it in eternity. Nothing that you have and stand to lose comes even close to the value of what will be yours in Christ. And that leads us into our last point this morning. Do not miss the gospel abundance. I want to close this morning with this final point. I've already made reference to it this morning. Look at the abundant blessings that are available for Rebecca. They're so abundant, as a matter of fact, that they spill over to her family. Look at verses 52 and 53. This is not the first time in this very story that gold's been handed out like it's, it's nothing, right? Like it's Southwest Airlines peanuts. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. You see, the, the, the message isn't just, there's, there's not just some cultural expectation that the family will be compensated somehow for the loss of Rebecca. The impression that's being made is my master has been made so wealthy, has been so overabundantly blessed by Yahweh that we just give this stuff away. Here, take it. You want some more? Take it. The abundance that belongs to the people of God is so infinite that it spills over into the world around it. And we see this at the, on the big picture level. Entire books have been written by unbelievers, no less, who will take a, an objective look at history and say, though I don't believe what they believe, it is undeniable that the West has experienced profound blessing and privilege because of the Christian faith. It just spills over. We see it on a micro level, on a local level, as those around you hopefully benefit from the fact that you are a Christian, as you love your neighbor well. The blessings that are ours in, in Christ, this, this, is, this is the root, right? This is the foundation of how and why we love our neighbors well, because we can afford to. We can afford to. The abundance out of which we love our neighbors well is bottomless. You can't possibly give away to your neighbors what God will not replace in spades. There is no end of the love of God which enables you to love your neighbor well. Loving your neighbor well is not just an ethical expectation. 
what's right versus what's wrong. Loving your neighbor well is how you say to your neighbor, the love I give to you, I get from God. And there's an infinite amount. You should try. You should come. You should belong to this God. Don't you want to know the God that I know that loves me so well I can afford to love you? The abundance that is ours in Christ spills over to those around us and is itself a form of of testimony, of evangelism. But the blessings are first and foremost for Rebecca. Listen, Rebecca is going to be blessed here as well materially. She's going to get the gold and the clothes. But, but what's going to happen, what happens at the end of today's text, and we'll see continuing into next week's text, is Rebecca leaves. And that's the end of the blessing for this family for now. They are blessed because they know Rebecca. Rebecca leaves and the blessing goes with her. The blessings are first and foremost for Rebecca. These blessings in all of their richness, in all of their, their, their bottomlessness, their infinite quality belong only to the people of God, the bride of Christ, those who have said and will say, I will go. I will belong to him. And don't miss this either. The greatest blessing in the text is not the gold and the silver and the fine clothes. The greatest blessing in the text is Isaac. Isaac is the blessing. The greatest blessing that we have is not warm, comfortable feelings. The greatest blessing that we have is not the material wealth that we enjoy. The greatest blessing that we have is Christ himself. He is the blessing. If the blessing is just silver and gold and fine clothes, those things will rot one day. They will go away. They will disappear. They will run out. Even if we had gold measured in the tons, there is coming a day where it will be of no value. But Christ, who is the source of our blessing and who is himself the blessing, is of infinite value, and that value will never diminish. Rebecca doesn't ultimately leave and go with the servant because there's some gold and silver on offer, but because the one to whom she is promised is himself the son. Yes, she's going to get all the rest. And children in the thousands and ten thousands who will possess the gates of their enemies, all that's coming. But it's Isaac who is the blessing, and through whom all of that will come. Jesus Christ is the one held out to us, brothers and sisters. Even when we think about eternity and and the, the, the promise held out to us who are in Christ of salvation from eternal judgment, that is a blessing that flows from Christ who is himself the promise. This is why Paul can say in the New Testament, All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Not just because he's the means by which we gain those promises, but because he is the one promised. We have him and therefore we have all of the rest. What a a rich blessing is given to us. God has loved us so well. 
Jesus Christ is held out to any who will believe. But he may only be received as a husband. You must become a part of the bride of Christ if he is to be yours. That's what we see in the text this morning. Blessings abundant, a husband who is promised, one who is the covenant son and who gains all of these promises for himself and those who are his. If you belong to him this morning, brothers and sisters, rejoice. There is no end of the relationship that is held out to you in Christ and all of the blessings that come with being his and knowing him. And if you're not trusting in Christ, all of this can be yours freely. If you will just trust in Christ, repent of your sins. That that is, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you, you justly deserve God's judgment. And that the only hope that is held out to you to escape that judgment is Jesus Christ. And he is no mean hope. What promises are held out to us and what what blessings we receive. Rebecca receives blessings right then. And she's going to receive blessings later on. And in the same way, we the people of God are blessed even now. And there is blessing coming for us in the future and eternity. Let's pray.